Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're new with us, you've stepped in the middle of a series called Controversial Jesus, where we are taking a look at what does it mean to follow Jesus in this cultural moment? And if in our topic today is Jesus and gender, and if you're first time, you may be thinking, this is not what I expected to hear at a church service. Not sure what I think about this. Others of you are like, I've been longing for a message like this. Uh, I'm confused. Uh, My head is spinning. I could use some clarity and direction. Some of you are nervous, like, hey, what is he going to say? You know, you thought about bringing a friend, but you may be better to hear it first and then, you know, do the invite later. And then some of you, this is way more than an idea or a discussion. This is this is a reality for you. This is this is probably the biggest reality in your life. And either as someone who identifies as a transgender person or has a child who does or someone that you love. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you for for being here or for watching this online whenever it is that you're watching it, because this conversation is filled with a lot of pain. And I I just want to ask of you, Jubilee uh, members, that uh, we have a gracious spirit as we talk about these topics, not here, because you're like, well, Brian, you're the one talking, like I will. But I think at any moment in time, whether it's in our group or in our workplaces, is to understand that is important in, in, as a follower of Jesus. And everyone is scrambling to figure this out. I mean, doctors are, psychiatrists are, parents, uh, certainly pastors. And, and this won't be my final word. It's my first word, but it won't be my final word. But it does represent a desire, an authentic desire to understand the subject from a a theological and pastoral perspective. Because that is my perspective. First Peter 3, this is helpful just to frame what we want to say or how we want to say it, I should say. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared for defense to anyone who asks you. For, the reason, uh, uh, for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do so with gentleness and respect. And again, I just want to explain that, that everything I'm going to say is from the framework that, that Christ is, is Lord, starting from a position of discipleship and from this angle uh, of being a pastor, wanting to help people how to follow Jesus in this cultural moment. And I want to say too, and, and invite us and, and show everyone really the hope that is in Jesus, I do want to give a defense for the hope that we have in him, and I want to do so with as much gentleness and respect as I possibly can. Time magazine a few years back said that we've reached the the transgender tipping point, and it certainly feels like that. Um, Maybe six or eight years ago, Amazon put out a show called Transparent with the goal of educating people on the realities of transgender people. Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair in 2015, and and later won an ESPY as a woman. Both of these moments broke the internet. Leah Thomas, a transgender female, once a male swimmer, now a NCAA champion as a female. And and has some people asking, what's driving all this? I mean, I I know that, you know, gender dysphoria has existed, and, and there's, you know, people have always been transgender, but what's fueling this shift that we're seeing in culture? And there is a worldview underneath the worldview and we 
talk about this quite a bit at Jubilee Church, is that the prevailing worldview in the West is a vision for the authentic self. That our individual happiness is at the center. That nobody is, is, is on a search for truth. Everybody is on a search for happiness. And so our individual happiness is at the center of how we view the world. And this did not start a decade ago or two decades ago. This started um, with our, in, you know, it's in our constitution, the right for, to pursue life and liberty and happiness. And we are, we are reaping, um, we, are, we are reaping what we've really been sowing for hundreds of years. Let me show you this, though, how it's accelerated, though. In 1998, uh, this is an article in the Wall Street Journal I saw a few months ago. Uh, this is a percent of people who say values are very important to them. Um, this, so this is 1998 is on the left and 2020, May 2023 is on the right. So patriotism down, religion down, having children down, community involvement, startup down. It's like, you know, we thought about it for a second. Like, nah, we don't, we don't want to do, we don't want to do stuff for other people. And, um, but the one value that is up is money. And, and I don't, I'm not here to say anything about any one of these topics other than what these four have in common are other people. What these four have in common, there's something outside of me that's over me. There's a country over me. There's a, there's a God over me. There are children and uh, legacy, thinking about legacy, thinking about uh, my community. And my community is not bigger than me. And the one value that has gone up is money, which enables us to be sovereign. It enables us to be autonomous and so you just have to understand that what's going underneath all of what we are experiencing is a putting the self at the center and putting what makes me happy. And, and, I, and I, I say that for two reasons. One is to help you understand, but secondly, as a bit of a challenge. Like if you don't, like, we've all participated in this environment. We all choose ourselves over others and we are living in the fruit of that mindset and worldview. I just want to say as well by introduction that I want to dif- uh, draw a, a line um, to differentiate between the transgender movement as an ideology and transgender people. Some of us may see the ideology as a threat and miss the people. And if you do that, you'll see people as a threat. And if you see people as a threat, you'll miss out on the call to be a disciple that people that Jesus cares deeply for, and so should we who are there in an incredibly vulnerable position. 41% of the transgender community will attempt to commit suicide as compared to 4% of the population. Most transgender people won't, don't desire a genderless society or won't even want to be a pawn in the culture war. They're just trying to get a sense of congruence between who they are in their mind and their biological sex. In fact, Leah Thomas, the the swimmer for Penn State, when, when she was asked, why did you become a woman? Leah said, I just wanted to be happy. And as disciples, we are thrust into a world to both be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. It's not people over ideas or ideas over people. It is, it is we, we, everything that we think and everything that we do, we lay it at the feet of Jesus and we ask him for the posture. We ask him for the heart and the mind and the actions in order to live out how he's called us to do. So Paul did say that he had in, to the Corinthians that his, his plan 
was to destroy every argument that comes against the knowledge of Christ. But this doesn't negate the call to love your transgender neighbor. We love people and destroy arguments. We're innocents as doves and we're wise as serpents. We love people. We destroy arguments. Sometimes we love arguments and we destroy people. So just in case any of the things I'm getting ready to say is not helpful, let me give you some books to read later uh, that hopefully make up for it. Um, If you read any books, read this one, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. Um, He might be the best that I know of in terms of getting the theology right and getting the tone right. Understanding Sexual Identity by Mark Yardhouse. He might be the, the foremost thinker and scholar in the Christian world. And this book is particularly helpful for parents understanding sexual identity. Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier is a bit controversial, but it gives another narrative than the one that you get today about what happens as our adolescents, our, our, our teenagers, are, are rushing toward surgery. And she talks about the epidemic, really, of young girls. Young girls are, women are far less likely to experience gender dysphoria, but now are transitioning more than, than boys are. And then tomorrow I'm going to, um, there'll be a, I'm going to do a podcast and, and do a few episodes on YouTube as well, just to answer some questions I won't get to today. There are questions that I think that you have, but you're also welcome to send in some questions and you can email the office at office at jubileesdl.org and I'll do my best to answer those in that podcast. You could subscribe to our podcast or subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll get that automatically. Um, Let's define some terms because there's a huge difference between a person who has gender dysphoria and a person who identifies as a transgender person. And intersex is a category all into its own. So um, first of all, uh, gender identity, or let me start with sex. Sex is our gender dysphoria is really the, the, the dysphoria or the sense of discomfort someone feels from their biological sex and their sense of identity. So sex being male and female, typically in reference to chromosomes, internal reproductive anatomy and external genitals. Gender identity being someone, one's self-perception of whether they are male or female. And this one's helpful, masculine or feminine. And the irony of the transgender movement uh, toward the separation of gender identity and biological sex, it's, it's dependent upon stereotypes. So in 2015, when Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair, and again, that broke the internet, Karen Dansky, uh, uh, a well-known radical feminist, made this comment. Uh, Karen said, Caitlyn Jenner undid in one magazine cover what feminists have been pushing to do for 150 years. Here's what she was saying. She said, there was nothing about Caitlyn Jenner's biology that said that Caitlyn Jenner was female. So the magazine cover, she says, is communicating that girls are people who like long hair, lipstick, eyelashes, and pretty dresses. She went on to say that transgender activists and male chauvinists from the 1950s are saying the same thing from different sides. In other words, transgender activists are saying, if you like those things, that means you're a girl. Chauvinists are saying, if you're a girl, you should like these things. And the truth is, is that we do need a broader definition of what it means to be male and female. If we're going to make progress, real progress in biblical understanding of of God's intent for humanity, is we need a broader definition because there are men who don't like sports, trucks, and raw meat. 
but prefer arts and the color pink. And not all women like tea parties in Downton Abbey, but like books on leadership and action movies. And a uh, shout out to the women's conference coming up. Um, <laughs> if we uh, just thought about that, I hope it's there better not be any doilies. Um, Rebecca McLaughlin said this, if we remove gender from sex and all we're left with is stereotypes. And there's nothing in the Bible that defines male and female according to stereotypes. Gender dysphoria, again, the, the people who struggle with gender dysphoria say they, they feel like there's a war within them. This affects 1 in 13,000 men and 1 in 24,000 women. And it's a, they describe it as a painful war between my physical body, my biological sex, and my gender, who I really am. Now, again, I just think as Christians, we should have incredible compassion and understanding for this because guess who else says there's a war happening within us? We do. Christians do. First um, Peter 2 talks about this war that's within us. And Paul goes at length to talk about this war that's between the mind of our flesh and the mind of God. That the mind of God wants us to go this way. But guess what we want to do? We want to go this way. And the mind of God wants to lead us to life. The mind of the flesh just wants relief. So let me ask you, Christian, you know God's call on your life to seek the kingdom first. But your flesh says me, me, me. So what do you do? Who wins? You get, do you get relief or do you choose the right ideology, I'll say. Oh, we, we choose our flesh more often than we would care to. God calls us to be um, holy, and yet our mind is filled with lust. God calls us to be generous, but I need that car, and I need that vacation. We are, our flesh wants relief, and we give in to that. People who struggle with gender dysphoria just say, there is a war happening within me, and I just want... They're not pushing for a genderless society. They just want congruence between what their mind is saying and their body. And, and the first instinct for us has to be extreme compassion and understanding to take the plank out of our own eye before we start poking at specks. This is the call for the Christian. And even though that we follow Jesus, who offers a different solution and worldview, we, can, we need to start with compassion. So let's talk about what's at stake, though. So we have a response to people, but what, what's our response to the ideology? Why is this a big deal? Why can't a woman just be a man and a man be a woman? What's the big deal? Well, Jesus refers back to the, the created order in Genesis 1, and he talks about gender. So it says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the flesh of flesh, over the fish of this, I'm not nervous, fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing on the earth. So all that God created was good, he said, but with humanity, that is male and female, he said, was very good. 
So it was very good. Uh, and it's only humanity, male and female, that he placed his image on. The separation of uh, my psychology from my biology, who I think in my mind and who I've created to be in my body, is a divergence from um, who you are and whose you are. So gender is designed by God to display the glory of God, his image, back to him and then from him to us. So God brought male and female together to express his image. And it also represents this relationship between Christ and a church. And that's why there is a binary because it's, it's Christ and his church. So God created male and female because he has a purpose in it. And his purpose was to bring these two together who are likes, but also opposite. And so when he brings male and female together, that word helper suitable in Genesis 2 is a word, kenego, which means like. So Eve is like Adam. So it's not good for Adam being alone. It's not good that there's just one gender. It's not good that Adam is alone. I'm going to make someone like him that's a human and not an animal, but also opposite him. He's a, that Eve is a like opposite. And because she is a like opposite, because she's like him, but also not like him, that makes them the perfect match. And God has, has, a, has, a, has a plan in putting that on display. That's why he says in places like Deuteronomy 22 that a man shouldn't wear women's clothing. It's not referring to style preference, but it's saying it's a goal to protect the distinction, distinctions that God has woven into humanity. And that's why in, in Matthew 19, to our main text, Jesus is almost incredulous. Like, have you not heard? Like from the beginning, God has created male and female, affirming and confirming the creation account, the, the male-female binary. And he says, for this reason, these two like opposites will be joined together in marriage, not made interchangeably, but complementary for each other. And this was all a part of God's pre-fall design and blueprint. But what about gender exceptions like intersex? And intersex is when um, you're born where your, your external... Um, anatomy is not clear. And I'm opposed to fundamentalism in all its forms. And I think Jesus is too, because in this convo about male and female, he brings up eunuch. Why does he bring up the eunuch? Well, eunuch were men who did not have the external reproductive or organs. They were either made eunuchs by other men, crushed, pierced, or cut, or they did it to themselves. But he adds a third thing. He says, or they were born this way. So Jesus says there were, there were some who were born this way, a male identity, but not male reproductive organs. And in saying this, he does two very important things. He says, just because there are exceptions, it doesn't mean that the male-female binary doesn't exist. He confirms the creation account. And just because there is a male-female binary, that doesn't mean there aren't people who struggle with this condition. So somehow he's able to live in this tension. Jesus acknowledges the reality of a fallen world while appealing to creational intent. So what is our message to intersex people? Well, again, our message, number one, should be drenched in compassion and love. And we want to say that we want to create an environment where you feel a part and thrive. And this is God's message to you in Isaiah 56, where he says, let not the eunuchs say, behold, I am a dry tree. If you were to go to the temple in Jerusalem, you would have saw a sign that said, no lame, no blind, no eunuch. 
But God says, let the eunuch say, behold, let, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. In other words, those who want to receive an identity from me, he says this, he says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, check this out, better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name and that shall not be cut off. And so there's all this talk in the, in the Christian worldview is like, hey, there's male and female and it's a binary and, you know, it's in marriage and, well, you know, I'm single or I'm a unit, I'm like, the, where do I fit into this? And Jesus is like, I know you don't fit in the category, but I want you to know that we don't have to tear down the blueprint of creation to fit you in because I'm God and I can do what I, whatever I want. And I want you to know there's a place for you where you can thrive. And if you receive the identity that I give you, he, I will make you, I will give you a name that's better than a son or a daughter. He sees you. However, I do want to say that there's a difference between a condition you were born with and taking your body into your own hands. So what about the person who wasn't born with the intersex condition but identifies as a transgender person? What's our message to them? Well, I would say it depends if you want to follow Jesus or not. So what would I say to a transgender person? I would say, well, it depends if you want to follow Jesus or not. To the person who does not have faith in Jesus, who does not want to follow Jesus, my message to you is not gender binary. My message to you is, have you heard about the person of Jesus? Because we don't preach morality. We preach resurrected life. So 1 so Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We don't preach morality. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. You've heard me say this before, but man, if you don't, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, this whole thing called church is a really lame hobby. Go play tennis, go play golf. This, I don't understand. This is not. So Paul's like, if you don't think Jesus rose from the dead, then eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you want with your life. Make the most out of today because there is no tomorrow. So honestly, my advice to you is to do whatever works for you. If you're a transgender person that doesn't see Jesus as raised from the dead, then do whatever works for you. The Christian worldview is not a worldview shaped by morality. It's shaped by a person who offers hope beyond the horizon of what we can see. But I want to say, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So Christian, how could you be good at influence? Act like he rose from the dead. Live your life based upon resurrected power and not your morality and not because you're a good person because this is what Christians do. Christians lay their life at the foot of the cross and say, what are we up to today, Jesus? And then you go from there. If you start first with the, the ideology, you will not, it will lead you away from Jesus. 
If you start with the individual, you will, it will lead you away from Jesus. This is not people before ideas or ideas before people. This is Jesus first. This is coming, laying all that we are at the foot of Jesus and then following his imitation that says, come and see, come and see what this resurrected life is all about. I know you're carrying a heavy burden. I want to take that burden from you. Come experience me. Take my burden. It is light and it is easy. And at Jubilee Church, we want to create safe places for you to explore who Jesus is without judgment, because that's exactly how Jesus has treated us. Because so there's a purpose in gender and there's a purpose in our bodies. And this is why this is another reason why this is a big deal to to Christians is that the world has a view of personhood that is the person that has moral and legal standard and then the body is viewed as an expendable biological organism that who you are is separate from your body which isn't new this is just ancient gnosticism on repeat in our culture today which says that your mind and your soul is who you really are and you can do whatever you want with your body because it's not really who you are but scripture has a different view of personhood that has a high view of your body, that your body and your soul are connected. Here's an example. David cries out in Psalm 63, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. All that I am thirsts for you. Uh, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Paul tells the Romans not to present the members of the body, their hands, their ears, their eyes, their mouth as uh, don't present your members for unrighteousness. Present your members for righteousness. What you do with your body is very important. Scripture says that God made our body wonderfully, in, intricately. Then, then Jesus came to love us, pursue us, and forgive us in a body. The beauty of Christmas that we'll celebrate here in a couple months is the incarnation that God took on flesh, that he took on skin and bone, and he walked in the neighborhood, that he lived among us. Then he took our sin in his body. That body was nailed to the cross. That body was buried. That body was resurrected. That body ascended. And then to all who would believe, he has given us the Holy Spirit that lives inside our body. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, with whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your Body. This does not mean that you're going to have a perfect relationship with your body. In fact, most of us don't, especially those who have gender dysphoria. And maybe like Paul, we, we, you know, who, who appealed to God. He had, he had this thorn in his flesh and he appealed, God, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. And God didn't give Paul a new body to experience, but he did give him a new power. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And those who suffer with gender dysphoria just wanted to go some way or another. And the Lord says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But one day, Paul, you and me, and anyone who is in Christ will get a new body. And in the new heavens and new earth, we won't be disembodied souls, but we'll be embodied souls, glorifying God and enjoying him for all eternity. God gave you your body and it's deeply connected to who you are. So what are your options if you have gender dysphoria? Culture says you have one response. Transition culturally. If you're young enough, puberty blockers then start taking cross-sex hormones, move towards surgery. 
Do what you have to do to change your biology to match your mentality. Now, I just want to say, especially for those, for parents, it's worth noting that these types of procedures are coming under heavy scrutiny. Maybe as a parent, you have a child or someone else that you know who's come to you and says they want to change their gender. And you go online and you just read about the elevated suicide rates. You see um, a strong push for you to affirm your child in this transition. And then maybe you've had this lobbed at you. You can either have an alive son or a dead daughter. The Tavistock in the UK, the, number, the leading organization that administers gender-affirming care is being shut down. The UK is, if you could say it this way, is like 10 years ahead of us in this conversation. And they're finding out that these options don't really work out. We're also finding out that 60 to 88 percent of adolescents will grow out of their dysphoria. John Hopkins psychologist said this about, um, he said, treatment should not be directed as a body with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity, fearing, uh, excuse me, that one treats obesity fearing anorexic patients with, with liposuction. The treatment should strive to correct the false problematic of the nature. So if you have a teenage girl that comes in and says, that's 100 pounds and says, I feel overweight, you wouldn't say, well, let's staple your tummy and give you diet pills. You would address that. And, and what he's wanting to pump the brakes on is we don't know where this road is going. And actually, most people who suffer with gender dysphoria don't want this option. But what option do they have? Who offers hope? Who offers the answer to be happy? Well, culture would say that you listen to your mind, renew your view of God, and alter your body. The scriptures would say, listen to God, renew your mind, and offer your body as a living sacrifice. Take all that you are and throw it in the hope of Jesus. And this is what he'll do. He may heal you. He might heal you. But even if he doesn't, he'll give you something better. To the poor, he doesn't, offer, he doesn't necessarily offer money. He offers something better than money. To the blind, he doesn't necessarily offer sight. He offers something better than sight. In Isaiah 54, single barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Because you can say, because I believe in resurrection power, because I believe that God hasn't abandoned me, because I believe in the renewal of all things, because I believe that my life is much more than my present happiness, I will take my whole self and I will put it in the hope of God. You might be thinking, like, why is this happening to me? Is God against me? God is not against you, but there is a spiritual force that is. The devil is against you, and his main weapon, his only weapon, is to lie. And the first thing he does to lie to you, his first strategy is to get you to believe that God is against you. That was the lie to Eve in the garden, that God doesn't love you and that you should seek your own happiness on your own terms. His first strategy is to get you to believe that God is against you. He is the author of confusion. God gives us clarity, but he doesn't only get you to believe that God is against you. He gets you to get you against you. He gets you to hate yourself and how you are. It's such good news in 1 John 3. Whenever our hearts condemn us, 
God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows about you. He knows all that you, how you're made, the inside and out, body and mind. Would you stand? I want to speak to those who are transgender and and maybe you've transitioned. Maybe you've altered your body and you and you're wondering if there's any hope for you because like I said in um, in Israel in Jerusalem over the temple was written no no blind no lame no eunuch and there was a eunuch in in Acts 8 Ethiopian eunuch who who had made himself a eunuch he did this to himself and he was wondering is will God love me will God accept me and he traveled from he traveled a thousand miles to Jerusalem to find out can I enter the presence of God and he saw that sign and he turned around and he went back no hope for him and he wondered did my do my scars define my life God loved this eunuch so much God loves you so much God God sent Philip out into the desert 60 miles to find this one eunuch and he's reading Isaiah and he's reading he's wondering if the fact that he was pierced and he was crushed would he be defined by his scars but he reads in Isaiah that Jesus was crushed that Jesus was pierced and that Philip told him this is what this means that your scars don't define you the scars of Jesus define you And that's what he speaks over every man, woman, and child. He wants to speak an identity over you. He wants to give you an identity that's better than being sons and daughters. He wants to give you a future and he wants to give you a hope. And so I want us to sing this song. We sing the song that you may or not know about how God speaks his identity over us. But let me pray for us as we go into song. God, we just thank you for the better word that you give over our lives. And God, we just pray as followers of you that you would fill our heart with compassion for those on the margin, just as you had compassion for those on the margin, as you have had compassion for us. God, may we be those that are filled with all wisdom and and those who treat others with gentleness and respect, not offering morality, but offering resurrected life, hope in a future that we cannot quite see over the horizon.